Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, we're here to celebrate, obviously, just a historic day in the world. The day that Jesus Christ was born. And there's sort of like this, this unspoken sort of challenge that us preachers have at Christmas time, where we sort of have to cut through like the nostalgia and all the cliches about the Christmas season and offer for you like this fresh encounter with sort of the beauty and the bigness of the Christmas story. Like no preacher starts his Christmas sermon with the words, stop me if you've heard this one before, right? Because we've all heard this one before. Like, we all know the Christmas story. It's a timeless story. You don't have to be a believer to know the Christmas story is about Jesus, the God-man who put on human flesh, was born of a virgin in a manger in Bethlehem. And as, as ubiquitous and common the Christmas story might be to, to you this morning, I want you to sort of receive the story uh, fresh to receive this story from the scriptures and, and humbly let the Spirit of God do some work on your soul to open up the eyes of your heart so that you might see how truly beautiful the Christmas story is in maybe newer and, and bigger and better ways. And the scriptures we're looking at today are the ones that inspired the lyrics, Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. And you might be someone who doesn't even believe those words. You might not believe that Jesus is the newborn king, that he's worthy of praise, that you might not believe in angels that sing of him. But even if you don't believe in that, like you, you know those words because they're everywhere, right? We sing those words. They're on the radio. They're everywhere around this time of year. Like Jesus is a man of whom more songs have been sung, more books have been written, more art has been commissioned than any other human who's ever lived. Like, have you ever stopped to actually think about that? To sort of consider that, about how, how this man, Jesus, left such a, a dent in human history that, that we're singing songs about his birth like 2,000 years later in Rancho Santa Margarita. 
By the way, we even divide the history of the world by his birth. Before Christ, B.C. and A.D., which is Latin Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Even the the atheist historian H.G. Wells, he once admitted, uh, he said, I must confess that even as as a historian, that this this penniless preacher, uh, he's talking about Jesus here, from Nazareth, is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. I mean, this guy's not even a believer. He's an atheistic historian, and he's like, Jesus Christ is the, easily, the most dominant figure in all of history. And so we want to ask this morning, who is this Jesus then? Who is this Jesus that demands our attention? Who is this Jesus, and what's so significant, what's so great about his birth story? What is it that makes the angels sing glory to the newborn king? Let's dig into the scriptures now and walk through the Christmas story given to us. Probably the most uh, well-known account of the Christmas stories in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to walk through the first 14 verses, beginning in verse 1. Luke 2, verse 1 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Syria has obviously been in the news a lot this week, and this this community has been around for a while. And admittedly, in these first two verses, uh, like these first two verses at first glance, are really not all that exciting, right? I mean, Caesar Augustus called everyone to be registered in the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Not all that exciting information. But here's what you need to receive from these verses. These are real historical figures happening in real historical places. The Christmas story is historically rooted as a historically rooted event that actually happened. And here Luke, who is his background is he was a physician that kind of turned into a journalist slash investigator. All Luke cares about in his gospel are cold hard facts. All Luke cares about is eyewitness accounts. And here Luke says that Jesus was born when Caesar Augustus was ruling and under him was a guy named Quirinius. So he wants to get the facts out in front of us. Now let's read on in verse 3. It says, And all went, everyone in the area went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So now in these verses, we're introduced to Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary are betrothed to get married, and and, and Mary, who's a virgin at the time, is pregnant with child, and they're on this road trip to register together in their hometown. So they're going to register. Now, if, if if, if if, if you're married this morning or you have kids, you might think like, oh, registering's fun. Right? You get a little laser gun, you walk into the store and you get to register a bunch of stuff, but this is obviously not that kind of registration, right? Like this is not the bed, bath, and beyond type of registering. When they when it says here that they went to be registered, what it's talking about is how every so often back then, 
every so often, citizens in, in a region would have to sort of check in and renew their, their status as citizens. So basically, they would take this census. And the purpose of the census was so that they would know how many people lived in an area so they'd know, they could know like how, how many people they could count on taxing. So they could also know how many men that they could uh, possibly count on and, and sort of tap if, if the kingdom went to war and, and it needed defending. Like That was the purpose of this registering. Now, why does that matter? Why is this significant? It's because, you see, Mary and Joseph... They actually lived in Nazareth, which wasn't anywhere close to Bethlehem. But because men needed to register with their extended family clans, the registration process sort of forced them to travel over to Bethlehem, where David was from. Now, what's crazy about that is that there was this Old Testament prophet prophet named Micah who actually prophesied that when Jesus was born, he would be born in Bethlehem. Read Micah chapter 5, verse 2 with me. This little prophecy about Jesus' birth. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now, that's just one Old Testament prophecy of over 300, some scholars say over 400 Old Testament prophecies that talk about Jesus. Do you know what all these prophecies tell us? Like prophecies like Micah chapter 5 verse 2, you know what these prophecies tell us? They tell us that the redeeming love and grace of God is unstoppable unstoppable. You see, God was not fresh out of luck wondering how in the world he was going to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem. No, his sovereign plan unfolds even through guys like Caesar and Quirinius. Even through them, his sovereign plan is unfolding because he is pursuing us. He is pursuing sinners. He's pursuing our salvation and he will stop at nothing. You see, God refused to leave the world broken in its sin-scarred condition. He didn't want to leave us like lost in our sin and and trapped in a broken world with like pain and and suffering and no hope in sight. No, God wanted to, to do something about that. He wanted to intervene and he would stop at nothing in his pursuit of this grace. You see, when we broke the world with our sin, God in his grace made a plan before time to step into our mess and save us from ourselves. And that's what we see unfolding in these first few verses of Luke chapter two. Now, let's continue in the Christmas story. Read verse six with me. It says, while they were there, while Mary and Joseph were there, the time had come for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, which is Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, you don't really realize how extraordinary this ordinary scene is. You don't really get how glorious the seemingly unglorious scene is 
until you stop and think about how this baby that was born, we read about in these verses, this baby, Jesus, is God in the flesh. You don't really get how, how extraordinary this is until you actually stop to think about how this baby is God in the flesh. He's God with us. It's a wild and beautiful mystery that God put on flesh to be with us. Theologians call this the incarnation of Jesus. And I think I mentioned this at Christmas last year, but when, when you think of the word incarnation, think of like carnitas, right? <laughs> or like carne asada, right? Like that word carne literally means meat. And so incarnation is like literally God putting on meat. God taking on flesh, so next time you're, you're sort of chowing down on that carne asada burrito, you can think about the beauty of the glory of the gospel, right? <laughs> you're welcome for that. Um, I love this one line in the last book of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. The scene is like towards, towards the end of this like epic story in the Chronicles of Narnia. There's, there's, there's this moment where the characters, they actually step into this magic stable. Is a ma- they step into this magic stable, and, and one of the characters is surprised to find like a whole entire world inside this stable. Like the stable looks small on the outside, but once he steps inside, there's like a whole world with the sky up top, grass underneath his toes. And, and Lucy, who's from Earth, says at this moment, she says, yeah, in our world too, speaking of earth, she says, in our world too, a stable once had something inside that was bigger than our whole world. She's talking about the birth of our Lord. She's talking about the Christmas story. Now I want you to let that sink in for you. Like something that was bigger than our world was laying in a manger. Jesus was not just a carpenter or a rabbi. He's not just some divine therapist or like your holy homeboy. He is God in the flesh. Colossians 1 tells us that all things were created by him. That, that he, Jesus, was, was in the beginning and all things were, were made, created by his voice and are now held together by his, by his power. This is the one who created everything from the swirling heavens on high to the depths down below. The Bible says that his name is above all names. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He makes demons tremble in fear. He makes angels sing in praise. He's the one who lacks nothing. He's supremely unique and holy in all that he does. And he's laying in swaddling cloths in a manger. And that should floor you. That should floor you. That God, this God, is the baby in the manger. That should change everything for how we view the Christmas story. You see, a lot of us here, 
When we think of Jesus, we don't like to think of his bigness. We don't like to think of his holiness, about his otherness, right? Like we like to think of of baby Jesus, of cute nativity Jesus, or meek and mild Jesus. Now sure, baby Jesus did exist, but the beauty of the gospel is found and felt when you consider that before he took on flesh, Jesus stood above all creation. Like it's one thing for us to say that the ocean is big, but it's entirely something else to actually stand at the edge of the shore with your feet in the sand to look at the horizon and really get a sense of and feel how big it is. It's one thing to know in your head that Jesus is the creator, but it's something else entirely to actually sense the weightiness of his glory. Whatever your view of Jesus is, it's just not grand enough. It's just not grand enough. Now, with that in mind, let's read verse 7 again. It says, When she speaking of Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, if we were writing the script for the Christmas story, like we'd have to admit it probably would not look like this, right? If we were coming up with the script on our own, like if I handed out blank sheets of paper here this morning and said, write the script of the coming Savior, the one who would fix all that is wrong and broken, the one who would defeat all sin and evil, who would push back the darkness and bring in the light of God's kingdom, if I told you to write the script of that Savior, like you would not think to write this scene like this. Born not to elites, but to poor parents from like this small ghetto town, born not in a castle, but in a manger with, with, with animals. You see, Jesus, in the incarnation, he didn't just, he, he, he didn't give up being God. He didn't give up being, being God, but what he did do is he took on the form of a vulnerable baby. He took on the form of a little lamb, of a servant. You see, right now, if you were given a brief glimpse into heaven and you saw Jesus for who he really is and all of his godness just full on display with all his glory and all his beauty and brightness, like if if you got a true glimpse of Jesus right now, it would knock you to the ground. It would knock you to the floor. Like that's what happened to so many people in the scriptures when they got just a glimpse of God's glory. That glory, that beauty, that brightness, that holiness on display, Jesus came without any display of that. He came as a humble baby. Now, why did that happen? Why did he do that? Jesus came as the ultimate substitute to stand in our place, to live infinitely better than any of us could on our own. You see, none of us can meet the requirements of righteousness to God, so Jesus came to do, for, do it for us. We could not walk in God's ways perfectly, so Jesus came to walk in those ways for us. 
From the first moments in the manger, he came to live for us, to die for us, and to eventually rise for us. When you look at in, into that little manger, I want you to see and to get a sense at and just marvel at grace. I want you to marvel at grace. I want you to see grace in that manger and marvel at it. You see, that's what the Christmas story is about. The Christmas story is about grace, amazing grace in a shocking form. I love this quote from Paul Tripp on, on, on his Advent devotional that came out last year. He says, the one who made a perfect world now exposes himself to a world stained with imperfections. The judge of all things places himself now under judgment. The one who deserves worship became the lamb of sacrifice. The one who deserves everyone's love subjects himself to being despised and rejected. The one who owns all things lives with no place to call home and no place to rest his weary head. Again, why did Jesus do this? Well, why did God do this? Why did he come like this in the manger? He lowered himself into the manger so that he could later lower himself into the grave. You see, he lowered himself so that we could be lifted up. You and I are always trying to, to, to fill our lives with these counterfeit glories, but we always end up tired and empty, don't we? But Jesus, who had true glory, Jesus, who had the weight of glory, Jesus, who had lasting glory, he emptied himself of that glory so that we could be truly full of glory in him, even if it cost him his life. You know what the proper response is to this grace in the manger? It's worship. That's the proper response. Worship. Worship is simply just making much of God. It's not just something that we do here on Sunday mornings when, when we sing and open the scriptures, but it's something that marks your entire life. You see, we all worship. We all make much of other people or other things. We all have something in our life that, 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 that determines our sense of value, our sense of being, our sense of identity. Whatever that thing is for you, that is the thing that you worship. And the Christmas story, the story of not just a God who is beyond our imaginations, but a God who is beyond our imaginations and stepped into our world so that he could be known and so that he could pursue us. That's grace. That is grace. That is reason to worship. Read the final verses with me. It's a, it's a little chunk of text from verses 8 through 14. But I want you to see how the people and the angels respond to this event, beginning in verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to the newborn king. You see, the angels, the angels break out in this glory song, not because the event was glorious, which it was, but because the one who came was glorious. Our hearts were made to find satisfaction in this God. No one else can bear the weight of your hope. Nothing else can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. No one like him, nothing like him. Maybe you're here this morning and like you're, you're, you're not a Christian or you're just kind of considering this Jesus thing, thing out for the first time. And this morning you've heard the good news of the Christmas story and you've come to the realization that, 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 that you want that glory, that you hunger for it, you need this glory, this grace and this, this Savior in your life. If that's you, then you can come just as you are to Jesus You don't have to clean yourself up to get to him. Like he came down to pursue you. There's no shame on the other side of the cross, only glory and new life and a spiritual family to grow with. But maybe you're here this morning and you're already a follower of Jesus. But you recognize that you've grown maybe too familiar with the Christmas story and you just no longer like marvel at it, it no longer amazes you. And if that's you, then, then, then let's receive the word of God this morning. And as we receive communion, remembering his vulnerable body broken and his precious blood spilled, like, let's, let's have our faith strengthened by this story. And for all of us, let's not only sing of his glory this morning, Let's live for his glory each day. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.